Welcome to Daily Discussions. I'm your host, Isaac Harrison. This is a podcast on Indigenous business, social entrepreneurship, pretty much uh, people out there doing business with a purpose. And uh, today we have Kevin Kroppenieri. Kev, please, I think I nailed that surname. Um, he is a <laughs> Indigenous man um, down at SA, works out uh, in community, currently lives out on a farm. Uh, he works for an organization called Outback Academy. Uh, which we've had a few guests on involved with the uh, academy and their program, Follow the Flowers, which is Indigenous uh, farms and businesses getting into native food growing or native plant growing, um, a bit of apiarist, so bee, beekeeping with uh, you know European bees, native bees, pretty much uh, involving Australian uh, na- you know, native plant species and, and making that a business. For those communities that they're in so kevin's out there in the sticks and he's going to share a bit of his story uh how he sort of his upbringing how he ended up in in uh, native plant growing in nurseries and you know what the future holds for uh indigenous businesses that are working around this uh this space so welcome kev thank you brother much appreciated happy to be here awesome so good now tell me so firstly i got your surname correct yeah yep yes, good. good tick Tick, thank you. Um, and <laughs> tell us a bit about your story. So, is your mob? Are you SA based? How did you, how do you end up? How far out of Adelaide are you at the moment? So, I am currently two hours southeast of Adelaide, Lower Lakes and Coorong region. Yeah, uh, home of the And is that your mob out there? Yes, Nanajuri mob um, on my father's side, and yep. uh, Naranga. In Ghana, on my mother's side, which is Adelaide Plain, Adelaide base. Yeah, well, um, so I don't know much about the landscape of Indigenous politics in South Australia, uh, apart from that David Unipin on a fifty dollar note is from there. <laughs> um, yeah. What's the lay of the land there? Because I, I have met a lot of mob from South Australia who uh, are stolen generations. So there's a lot of identity crisis on where they actually come from. But when I when I look at them, they clearly have Indigenous heritage. Yeah. I, um, my grandfather, actually, on my mother's side, was part of the Stolen Generation. Yep. Uh, yeah, so that's, that topic always hits home, close to home sometimes. Yeah. Yep. I've, I've heard there's, like, a lot of... There's a lot of institutional involvement with um, schools and and boarding houses taking the kids away. Um, they were quite heavily involved where in Queensland, there's a lot of like the missions, which is, you know, taking them yeah. to these sort of like these own little townships where sort of lumped everyone together and said, good luck. Um, but I, mm. I heard in South Australia, a lot of it was like boys' homes and institutions and these sort of boarding yeah. houses. Is that sort of the case? Yeah. To, to, from my understanding, yeah, I, I believe so. Um we do have a handful of missions as well, uh, one of them being uh, Raukin Aboriginal Community, um, which is classes somewhat of a mission, but traditionally in Nanajuri, Raukin has always been um, the place of meeting, um, which is the ancient meeting place is what Raukin means in Nanajuri. Um So, you know, they essentially did um, push us down to this one uh, part of yep. the world um, uh, on the Narang Peninsula. Um, 
but it's never what we've claimed the mission to be. It's always been Rauk and it's always been a traditional meeting place. Mm. Yeah, that's pretty cool because you're sort of taking that negative thing and making mm. it a positive thing. So, no, this has always been ours. You know, this has been our yeah. place. Um, so growing up, were you quite involved with, you know, cultural cultural activities? Were you based more uh, in the city? Or were you out in the country? You know, share a bit about so your I grew up. I was born in Adelaide. Um, grew up in Murray Bridge, which is the township about 40 minutes down the south eastern freeway from Adelaide. Yeah. Within Nadegadu country. Um I was fortunate to have a father that embedded uh, language into me at a young age, even when I didn't want to. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was a bit of a funny story behind that one. Um, so I grew up quite clearly who, knowing who I was, um, speaking uh, my, my language, um, yep. identifying uh, who I am and where I come from. Yep. Um, I think I feel the same, like the having the slang or – some of the the hinge of the accent, people are like, oh, you're a black fella, you know. <laughs> so it's like, I, I know my nan, she was like, who, uh, her, yeah, her mother wanted to teach her fluent, and my nan just refused because she it was at that weird period, I think, after World War Two, and sort of, you know, there's a bit of unity because of the Anzac thing, and um, I think she wanted to be, you know, an Aussie, um, as opposed to you know a black fella because she thought, you know, mm. what, what's the future? look if you're a black fella um which yeah. is sad because it didn't pass but we still got like we still you know have access to like dictionaries and different things now which is which is great yeah. but yeah i can understand what you mean when you you grow up you're like i don't want to you know what purpose is this i can't go overseas and use it so you know oh do you speak you yeah know? yeah I, I can definitely relate my grandmother was in, in a similar situation where she was born in the 40s um born on uh and raised at Routed. Um, and obviously back in those days, uh, you weren't going to speak your language. Yeah. In yeah. the community, um, superintendent's watching you and you need permission at those times to leave Rakan. Um, my grandfather grew up on the riverbanks of Rakan as well. Um, yeah. I wasn't allowed in the township after dark, I wasn't allowed to speak his language at school. So yeah, it was different, different times, um, in, that, in those days, um, and of course, my mother's side, having my grandfather um, be uh, one of the stolen generation. Um, of, yeah, it's um, it's, in, it's interesting. Um, the mob they they grew up real tough skin back in those days. Yeah, and I wonder if that's passed down through genetics and trauma, where inherently we think, oh, you know, what is the benefit of you know culture? What is the you know the benefit of of carrying this on? You know, it didn't seem to prove any benefit for our ancestors before us in fact they were persecuted uh, more mm. for speaking language or practicing culture because they weren't assimilating in according to what the you know image of australia was um so mm. you grew up in uh, adelaide uh, did you sort of go to school into a trade because from what i've been told you're sort of like the go-to for some native plants down in South yeah. Australia. You're sort of like the Indigenous Burke's backyard of native plants. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I get referred to a lot in my current role with Outback Academy. Um, it's interesting because I don't see myself like that. I just see myself as uh, 
having a trade and and, and all my stuff. Um, but yeah, I've been referred to as the go-to person a number of times. Um, always have a bit of a bit of a giggle about that one. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I grew up in Murray Bridge, um, which is just outside Adelaide. Um, small country town at, at, at the time, maybe ten or fifteen thousand people. It's growing quite rapidly to, to uh, over the years. Um, yeah, done most most of my schooling in Murray Bridge, um, and had plenty of family, uh, cousins, etc. Uh, we all grew up in in a small town. You can have a lot of leeway, you know. Um, so it was quite flexible back in those days. Um, yeah, fun actually. Uh, growing up on, on on the river itself, or find yourself at the river every. Every summer, um, but a lot of my mum's family is from Adelaide. So as I got to my mid-teens, I think early teens, I um, mum shifted us up to Adelaide, um, and I've done a little bit of schooling um, in Adelaide. Yeah, and um, after school, was it uh, uni or into the trades for yourself? I reckon I reckon I completed year nine. Uh, I'm not quite sure how far I got through year ten. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there, there, there was a bit of a bit of uh, running the muck uh, for a couple of years there, um, from what I can remember. Uh, <laughs> um, I think it was about seventeen. I think I was. I started uh, having different views. Yeah, um, and thinking there's probably something better than what I'm doing at the moment. Um, yep. And made a decision to snap out of it. Really, um, I think it was about eighteen when I moved back to Murray Bridge with my grandmother. Um, yeah, started to get settled and find my feet, and looked at work as obviously something yeah sort of have to do to um, make an income. Um, yeah, okay. So that those teen periods, I like I reflect as an Aboriginal person, and a lot of my family cousins. Uh, you know, second cousins, that's when, you know, incarceration, trouble with law really starts mm. to spike. Um, you go from playing, you know, footy or um, with, you know, your mates and your cousins and then all of a sudden through teen years, they're no longer in the team. Uh, they're no longer at school and they're out mm. working, inverted commas, on a farm somewhere <laughs> because yeah, of yeah. trouble and then years later, they obviously go into um, that whole incarceration system and cycle and, and, and can't break it. Was that sort of like the case you saw with around those 10 years, like th- that bad influence sort of coming through? Yeah, I think there's a lot of like-minded brothers, you know, like I, we knocked, I knocked around the same mob that, um, I know that, that laughter was, was attractive back in those days, you know. Um, yeah. Um, it was cool, obviously. Um, yeah. Um, and... Uh, did it for a lot of years, um, and as I reflect, you know, I, I think about uh, the decision I made when I was about seventeen, eighteen. That, um, you know, if I if I snap out of it now, I could probably I've probably got a chance here. I always had my father really talk to me. Insightful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always had my father hounding me around. Yeah, look, you look where. You, you are in five or ten years to where your brother boys are. Um, and unfortunately, you know, Foles not with us no more. And um, most of my brother boys are either uh, involved in heavy drugs or locked up. Um, 
So it's one thing I um when I reflect on on that that transition in my, in my time. Yeah, yeah, it was I think um, really like um on the pulse there because a lot of our mob when we're in environments like housing. Um, social housing, uh, alcohol, drug abuse, trauma, sexual abuse in our communities, which mm. as a kid, you can't really escape because you just, that's just what you were given. But then you come into your teen years and you, you get a little bit more autonomy. Uh, you know, yeah. you get a bit older and you're able to escape and you like have this feeling of freedom, which then quite quickly can lead down to you know, drug, alcohol abuse or, you know, crime. And mm. it's very easy to slip into that because there's a, feeling of freedom but you don't know anything else because at least you're not in the environment you were as a child you feel free and i one yeah. big thing i've seen with other successful uh, indigenous people on there on here is um there was a moment where they had to leave the environment wherever it was um in the city or in the country or out in the mission uh, out in the island they had to leave that environment and get somewhere new and fresh to yeah. create new habits and routines and, and slowly build a new identity um, with, you know, the, to the best of their ability. So that's really yeah. what you're saying is, is on par with a lot of the other mob that have been on here. Yeah, it's exactly right. I, I've seen Adelaide as a bit of a playground um, in, in those days. Um, had too much leeway. Um, had knocked around with the wrong crowd. Um and once I made a decision to get get grounded back in um, my home country town uh, yep. with my grandmother, it really stayed with me. Um, especially in that period, I uh, started to really knuckle down and, and find some work. Yeah, that's so good. Um, I just just this morning, I was, I was speaking to a XFL player, and he had a handful of games for one of the Victorian clubs, and he he reflects, and he said to me, there was a moment where. I could have left interstate to play for another club and mm. left all the family because his father played at this club that he was down here in Victoria. And uh, he's uh, from the top half, uh, one of the territory boys, North Queensland. And he, um, he said, I should have left. I should have just left that environment, that community. Yeah. Yes, it's, it's, it's blood. And you just, if you can get out, um, you'd be amazed at, things that you have to start changing yourself just to, um, you know, just to cope, just to survive the new environment. And then you grow as a person when you're slightly uncomfortable, you know, you have to do things to get back to that comfort and then challenge yourself. So what you're saying is just, it's just astounding to me that that's one of the determining factors for our, our community is to, to get out for a, a while to find yourself, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah, I think about it now and, um, I think about the opportunity that was presented in terms of work to get back down to Rowton um, and live and work. Um, I had a lot of support. Um, a lot of people brought me in, in in their doors and gave me a bed to sleep in while I was working at Rowton and Rowton secluded. You know, you're, you're 45 minutes from a shop to get bread and milk, for example. Yeah. Um, but you're working on country. You've got a, you know, the open uh, open landscapes where you can sort of just breathe and you know, allow yourself to sort of settle in. Yeah. Um, and that's where um, I suppose I haven't, I haven't left Racker since. So, so yeah, you know, I, incredible. Uh, yeah, I've been living here for nearly 12 or 13 years now and um, um, it's shaped um, my 
uh, I suppose, thinking um, my direction and what I, what I want to do with my life, and um, which eventuated into um, studying and business, etc. So, yeah. And now, oh. Mister Burke's backyard. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so the the native food growing. So where did you start in this? Because one thing I hear from people who pick up something from Bunnings or at our Indigenous nurseries, how on earth do I grow this thing? So things like bush tomato, uh, strawberry gum, it's it's an enigma to a lot of people, even people who are very qualified in in growing uh, plants and trees and, and in that nursery space. What What's your take on there? There's, clear, there's clearly a cultural knowledge gap that's been sort of tucked away um if you yeah i'd love to hear your you know side of those things so part of my part of my traineeship was to run a nursery or well, not run a nursery in particular but you know be a part of the nursery system so it's growing yep. native plants for rehabilitation and rehabilitation uh and predominantly around the Narang peninsula lower lakes and kurong so um i was part of my i suppose first 12 months was to uh, gain a certificate three in conservation land management and work work this particular system, uh, which was called a working on country fun, uh, working on country ranger. Yeah. So you had seasonal works, etc. But um, um, after my first twelve months uh, of being at Rauk and, and working in in that environment, I found I. Uh, quick to know that I, I, I like working with plants and the knowledge of plants sort of resonated and clicked with me for some reason. I, I still can't explain yep. to this day. Yeah. Um, that's inspiring. And, that's, I think that's so inspiring because um, you've given something a go and bang, it just clicks. And I, I yeah, wonder how many people out there haven't given something a go that's clicked yet because they just simply don't know what they don't know. Yeah, exactly. And like the first twelve months, I, I had every intention of leaving and going back to Adelaide. There was that was my mindset at that point in time. But yeah, I um I stuck it out because I realised there was there was still um, there was still longevity of this of this current role that you know there was a few years funding etc. Um, so I stuck it out because I, I could still be employed and live on Rackham, which is what I wanted yep. to do. Um. And growing of native plants, we had a capacity of probably about 25,000 plants at that point in time, and we were growing for, for contracts for revegetation, and it was a part of a nursery yep. network system. So we had about 12 nurseries around the lower lakes, um, which was called a community lower lakes, Murray Mouth Community Nursery Nurseries Network. Yeah. Um, so I was quite quickly was um, – presented the role of nursery manager um, after my first 12 months. And there was a lot of opportunity coming out of Commonwealth and state government to um, provide revegetation into the uh, lower lakes, Murray, uh, sort of Murray Corridor um, yep. post-drought. So there was a lot, a lot of post-drought um, supports to uh, revegetate um, those areas. Our nursery capacity um uh, had to jump up in increments of 10, 15, 20,000 uh, over the years. Um, wow. The demand for growing plants was there. So quite quickly, we were in a position where we had 25,000 plants and maybe maybe 18 to 20 species at the time. 
over space about three or four years, yeah. um, the demand grew uh, for us. Um, and I was lucky enough to be uh, at, the pl- at the right place at the right time to adapt yeah. my skill set. Now, mind you, I had a lot of senior workers around me um, that I learned from as well. They were already um, in this position for, uh, for a few years before me. So I had a lot of, yeah. lot of good leadership and I had a lot of good um, expertise around me as well. Um, I had one, one bloke in particular, this old white fella, um, yeah. who was a, a, a chemist by trade, um, but yeah. he had retired and moved down to Narung and his, his passion was to grow plants. And he's a class as a guru in this area um, on how to grow native plants. And I just, I see an opportunity to sponge and I did, yep. and I just learned and then I dedicated, you know, three to five years of just learning uh, on how to grow. Um, yeah. So we trend, so we transitioned the nursery from 25,000 to a capacity of about 280,000 and about 260 yeah, wow. species. By the time we were in humming in full, full capacity. So to run a nursery at that capacity, it takes quite a significant amount of um, understanding yep. uh, and knowledge on, on how to grow plants. So I would say about 60, 60, 70% of those plants, you classify them as your bread and butter plants as a straightforward methodology on how you sow your seed, treat your seed, greenhouses and um, time periods of germination um, to them, them being uh, in the sort of full sun, for example. Um, yep. It's generally about a nine-month cycle every year before you plant out around the May-June period. So I um, had a good team around me. I learned from one of the best um, and I adapted that to my own. Um, and then it was a matter of skill set to develop, uh, deliver on, on volume so somewhat become a commercial um, um, capacity to do so. And we had a lot of nursery quality inspections from state and federal yep. government around how to grow plants on a high quality. So I was fortunate enough to be a part of that um, and know and understand that. Because you never and really then, think of when you see like sidewalks and parks, no one really thinks where they get the plants from, especially oh, mate. things like salt bush and... Uh, the yep. little kangaroo grass and the little little spiky bush one. I forget what that's called. Um, you know, pink face. You know, people don't really think where it comes from. Uh, it's 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 and how long it takes. You know, like it's yeah a minimum of a ten month process. So if you if you're growing for contracts, for example, on in a nursery setting, your your contracts do extend over an 18 month period minimum um, because you have to have that time period it t- takes a very long time to grow a plant um, and then sustain a plant in a nursery setting as well because there's somewhat of a c- controlled environment you know it's yeah. not a natural state of growing so you've got to know and know uh, how that plant reacts how that plant needs to be treated um, yeah. and maintained at that period and mind you when you're dealing with 200 plants um Starts to become a bit of a bit of a busy job, you know. Yeah, it's incredible. And the, the so the people that you were sort of learning off was a diverse bunch. Was it indigenous um, and non-indigenous people sort of working together across these different nurseries, or was mainly? I had, I had about eight senior rangers, which were all all Nunajudi, all Nunga, all from this oh, way, wow. all from Rakan. We all lived on Rakan. We had a start. Uh, we had a workforce of about twenty-four people. Um, we're all yep. we're all Nunajudi. Living on Rakan. You, you had the old white chemist 
out there too. Yeah, yeah, the he fellas. dedicated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh no, no, yeah, we, uh, he, um, he was very, uh, very clear on his role. He only wanted to support, and he dedicated his, he volunteered his time one day a week, two days a week. Yeah. Um, but he was a part of a greater nursery network, which I then eventuated into having a seat at that table as well. So understanding, you know, a number of different things. So. Um, I, we think were there's, there's, indigenous- I think there's something in there because you think of like medicine men traditionally were using yeah. uh, plants and, uh, you know, floral and fauna to put together different concoctions to then treat um, our community members. Um, our mom. Yeah, yeah. So that was traditionally held by indigenous person or, you know, and now you've sort of like that power gaps. I just find it fascinating that that power gap's not there, but this sort of this, uh, you know, Aussie, you know, chemist, retired chemist, which is similar in that same vein, sort of just, you know, appears on country and starts helping out. And I think that's just so beautiful. And I think there's something, you know, some meaning behind that, which is great. Yeah, he, 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 can, he, could, he couldn't even tell you how he got down here. Just, he, he saw Narang, <laughs> uh, and the lower lakes is a, is a bit of calling for him. And in the year 2000, he moved down here, yep. built a house, about 20, 30 K out. And he's seen, um, there was a, there was a number of nurseries of, in, in, in the area and he just wanted to apply himself and volunteer. Um, incredible. And she's called, um, I think, I think there's some stories about, I think near or mobs down in the bays about you, they used to do whale calling. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, that would have been yeah. Our country does extend out towards Victor Harbour, which is just not South Adelaide. You know, yep. um, yeah, there is the Condoli, which is our our uh, our name for the whale. Was a dreaming, yep. you know. So yeah, I heard stories they used to be able to sing sing a whale, and it was a bit of a ceremony, sing a whale to shore to feed the mob. And yeah, I, that's just that's a, that's astounding. Yeah. Imagine that yeah. whale, whale for dinner. I think yeah, sushi all around. <laughs> Don't know how to prepare a whale, so um, and pretty sure can't do that anymore. So yes, that's yeah. Yeah. Um, that's so good, brother. Um, oh, I'd love to hear hear more on this. So you've sort of gone into these nurseries and sort of this sort of ties into the future of your role now. So coming on with like the Outback Academy guys, uh, follow the flowers, the Murray Darling Basin, all these programs like you're sort of brought on to what coordinate because as, as I've discovered, there's quite a lot of indigenous food growers and native plant growers across SA Victoria, but everyone's sort of doing their own thing. And so you guys are sort of getting them together to share that knowledge. Is that right? Yeah. So I, my role then from nursery manager slash running the programs, et cetera, I, I, I was chucked in the deep end to apply my skill sets in, in the management of uh, a lot of the organisations that come underneath the one umbrella um, in terms of yep. my previous employment. Um, and I, I ran these programs um, for some time. And then my last 12 months of employment, I was the executive officer for um, Kudiko, which is our uh, uh, name for Pippies, which is the uh, Pippies yep. uh, industry on the Young Husband Peninsula down um, on the Purong itself. Um, so we yep. are currently 26% ownership in, into that as well. Um, I end up, I end up after about 11, 10, 11 years, I end up finishing up with my last, my last employment and our batch 
Um, believe it or not, we were actually involved in this uh, in this in in the earlier stages while I was still in the nursery system. So yeah. I've been familiar with Outback for for some time, and I um I was just happened to ring it be ringing Outback to say, look, I, I've I've taken long service, and I just let you know that I'm not uh, um, uh, longer no longer the point of contact for that for that for that uh, company. And um, yeah, they asked me, look, can you can you, do you want to come on board with us? So I wasn't out of, out of a job for very long. Um, and essentially poached to uh, uh, provide, I suppose, my skill set into a, a national role, which is Outback and the Follow the Flowers Initiative, which is a collaborative model between, at this point in time, from my understanding, 23 Aboriginal organisations along the Murray Corridor, CSA, Victoria, New South, and in Southwest WA and WA as well, so um, it is a collaborative approach. Um, it's it's a great initiative. Yeah, so re- reconnecting all those old song lines and knowledge lines. Mm, yeah, I um I see it as um a similar um, sort of ethos to my previous employment, my previous things. So I, I, I really resonated with Outback and said, yeah, I believe it's the right thing. Um, I think it's a good good thing to do. And yep. I currently um, I took that role on and been currently employed by Outback for, I would say, that two or three years now um, at this point, I think, close to. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. So how do you see the future? So I think it was, you know, $40 million a year. Oh, that would have been the 2021 stats, I think, uh, for the native uh, food and plant industry. And less than two percent i think was indigenous um, businesses or growers and i'm and i'm sure through the rest of that 98 percent, there's indigenous people plugged along along the lines but a lot of that is not controlled by indigenous businesses or community groups what do you think what do you think will be the big change for our mob to sort of step up into what culturally was something we've done for thousands of years i think demand needs to be there i think um I think there's lack of demand. Um, If there is, um, it's not to my knowledge at this point. Um, I've I've dabbled in the native food industry um, and it sort of smokes and mirrors from my my experience. Yeah. So I don't know. I'll be curious to know if there is any other Indigenous organisations that are quite successful and and got a successful... um, crack at it um, and sustaining uh, a business around and pro- providing native foods. Um, I've just haven't seen it. Um, yeah. I think, yeah, I think yeah. you're, you're onto something there because if we think of like the supply is obviously going to parks and, and, you know, public spaces for native plants, you know, playing what was here before, mm. then there's a regenerative work and, and different things that communities have done. Uh, there's, mm-hmm. The mining, uh, I think, was it restoration or where they go in and they, they fix up, try to get what were there, what was there before. But the foods is like, you know, the, the export business is like what will be Australia's, you know, national native, you know, fauna, which goes across. Mm. I think of like aloe vera in Southeast Asia, like it's in drinks, it's in, you know, it's yep. every like in things, seaweed in other parts of the country. That's like bang, seaweed all the time. Um, South, uh, you know, look at South America's and the Americas with with corn that's used in like beers and wraps and cereals yeah. and all this sort of stuff. I was like, what would be the staple Australian thing 
that propels that industry into that you know the stratosphere yeah it's interesting because i i i, I can only speak to my own experience so you, you, if, if you yeah. like you think about nanojetting and just exactly in their recent ventures on the pippi industry, for example, it's a food source, yep. obviously. And it traditionally always was a food source. Um, and it's taken us uh, until the last six, seven years to really get a look into that industry. Um, yeah, wow. What I mean by that, I mean like actually ownership, owning owning quota, uh, uh, actually being uh, a business that uh, has none on the beach um, and uh, harvesting pippies and being yep. a part of that system. And we're currently we're 26% in our own industry, um, which is yeah. a significant investment. It's, it's probably an investment around the $7 million mark, to be honest. Um, yep. And, you know, that's, that's where we see, I suppose, each of our each of our people have got those sort of significant dishes or, or types of foods that um, we can emphasize in in our own regions. You know, um, yeah. Well, it's sort of like restoring country, isn't it? Like restoring country to its bountiful state. So that's like a, a climate and a sustainable approach. And then two, yeah. it's the capacity for our our mob to actually steward these things well to make sure it's profitable and it's got a future ahead of it. And then three, it's then getting that to a wider market to sample what you know wonderful things that our country can can produce. You know, if it's done in that cultural way too, that makes it so unique. Then people are like, oh wow, this is like pippies from SA, or you know, seaweed from the bottom of WA, or you know, bugs from you know Moreton Bay region. You know, these things, I think, yeah. we're really missing out on. On, on the the market value of being very unique and you know showing the rest of the world what we can do yeah absolutely and you know obviously um, you know there's, there's, there's a, I think there's a number of responsibilities that need to take place prior to us being involved like there's there's got to be a significant significant push from um, these types of agencies like uh, indigenous agencies that you know, I've, I've, I've got fundings, uh, monies for us to actually be uh, involved in these types of industries, you know. Um, so there's, yeah. there's, 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 and, there's, and that's business <laughs> too, like you would know, like sometimes mm. business doesn't work out and, you know, the, the chance of success is, is quite slim. It's just entrepreneurial yeah. stuff one-on-one. And I think a lot of these agencies are trying to eliminate the – aspect of failure but in failure our, our mob learn as long as they're encouraged and supported to keep growing but a lot of these agencies mm. they don't like the idea of failure but that's reality and so mm. they need to be able to have a certain quota if they got federal fund and money if things don't work out we can explain it we can build on and we can adjust so things are successful in the future yeah. and i think that's what's really come down to it because there's a lot of mob like you just said and i know there's a, a brother doing seaweed in sa too and it's like the same thing. Mm-hmm. People look at him and go, oh, you know, what if it fails? You know, oh, I can't give any money because, you know, or it doesn't work mm-hmm. out. It's like, well, that's that's business. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Awesome, brother. Well, thank you so much, brother. You know, it's uh, exciting to, and I see some of your work in No Free Outback Academy, what you've been been up to when you're sort of playing down our 
um, smart you are in the space, but hearing the, <laughs> the the components that sort of brought you where you are today, and I, and I assume much more to come. And I'd encourage anyone to keep an eye out for this space, Indigenous-owned nurseries and and food growers and and beekeeping is just going to take off in the next couple of years, and it's gonna it's gonna be good for all Australia. You know, we're starting to build a real cultural element into that food experience where people find an identity to this country apart from you know foster's beers and and pies you know <laughs> there's, there's going to be a special specialty yeah and it's, it's ownership you know it's determination it's it's um getting that look there's like there's like one of people um in this in, in the same initiative it's um it definitely is a great Push for what, yeah yep yep exciting thanks brother well thank you so much for coming on and i know i'll be talking to some of the other girls in the outback group um who are involved across that murray darling basin and uh, the follow the flowers uh, program thanks for coming brother it's been great having, having you on thank you brother appreciate it